First and goal from the one. James Stewart already has four rushing touchdowns. What will he get here? Here's a handoff. James Stewart running right. Has room. Touchdown. That's five. James Stewart's fifth rushing touchdown, and the Jaguars lead the Eagles 34-7. XL 92.5 FM presents Jaguars Today with your host Mike Dempsey, Tony Smith, and E to the T. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome in Jaguars Today on this Wednesday. Mike Dempsey, Fat Tony, and E.T. here with you. And uh, Tony, today joined by a guy we haven't had on in quite a while. I don't know that I've ever talked to James Stewart. Is that right? I'm pretty sure. Uh, like, it, it must have been when you were not here one day. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure we had him on Jaguars Today. In the early days, yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever talked to him. Well, I don't remember. Guess talking what? To him. We'll break that streak yeah. today. As uh, James Stewart, who back in 1997 had one of the most memorable games in Jacksonville Jaguar franchise history, mm-hmm. running for five touchdowns against the Philadelphia Eagles uh, in a 38 to 21 win, will join us uh, coming up at the bottom of the 10 o'clock hour uh, to get things rolling today on Jaguars today as we continue to reach back into the Jaguars' somewhat storied past, and let's hope that the future is a lot more storied than uh, what they've got. Uh, their last 25 or so years have been better than some. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, or close to 30 now we're going on. <laughs> but, uh, you know, still missing the ultimate prize. They but are, yeah. Hopefully that'll come uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, better than some, including James Stewart. Stop after he left here. Uh, certainly. Yeah, with the Detroit Lions. Uh, he's a good player for Detroit. Yeah, and they were okay while he was there, right? Like the the few years that he was there, Detroit was kind of right around that nine win team um, each of those years. So they weren't bad when Stewart was there. So it's you know none of it's his fault. You know <laughs> he just happened to go to Detroit. Has been what they've been right for the past you know, basically 50 years of football in the NFL. But one thing James Stewart did, like a lot of former Jaguars, uh, he got sucked in by the gravitational pull of Duval no County. No doubt, yeah. And uh, has been a long-time Jacksonville and Jacksonvillian, whatever. Uh, he's been Duval till he dies for a long, long time. So look forward to catching up with the uh, James Little Man Stewart later on in the program today. Of course, yesterday we took a look uh, with the franchise tag window opening up for the first time this year as to whether or not you think the Jags will use that tag this year. Uh, ultimately, 46% said no, they won't tag anybody, which means a little over half think they will use the tag. 32.4% think they'll use it on Evan Ingram. And we had a late swell for Jawan Taylor, got up uh, over 21% of the vote. I think that's highly unlikely, but nevertheless, mm-hmm. um, more people think they'll use the tag on somebody, but they're split on who they think it will be. I'm sure you saw yesterday Evan Ingram (laughs) on Twitter, right? Like the Jags just tweet out um, yesterday, 17 makes it look easy. And it has, you know, a little 2022 in review in very small print. And it just says Ingram in big letters Mm -hmm. with multiple action shots of him in different uniform combinations. And his stats are up there. And so Evan Ingram quote tweets it. And says, my heart dropped. I thought this was the announcement with the little crying eyes emoji to follow. Like, oh, he's laughing at uh, how he got fooled by it. Mm-hmm. When he says his heart dropped, <laughs> right? I mean, it's pretty clear. He thought this was the announcement that they're franchise tagging him, right? I mean, what other announcement? Your heart wouldn't drop 
if they're going to announce a contract that they've negotiated with you, right? Or like misusing the phrase to confuse it for excitement or something like that. That's a possibility. That's a possibility as well. Although, I listening to him the other day on Sirius XM NFL Radio, it Mm -hmm. did not appear like he felt like they were getting ready to announce something. We haven't done a whole lot. You know, we, we both express that we want to be back or I want to be back. They want me back, but haven't really gotten down to the heavy. It feels lifting like of that. he would be more engaged in the process of an extension than showing up on Twitter and being like, Oh, it's done. Oh, this <laughs> is the announcement I was expecting to come. Someone would have let him know at some point along the line. Hey, you know, are you good with this deal? I, I think though, what it probably <laughs> tells you and shows you is that like the rest of us, Evan Ingram thinks if I don't get something worked out, they're going to use the franchise tag. And as he said in that interview on NFL radio, he hopes that is the opening gambit, if it gets to that, of continuing to work on a long-term deal, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. You can continue. You've got a, a time period. You extend the window. Correct. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but like. Now, it has an end date, but it, it extends does. the window. It extends it. But, like, to me, like, if you know you're going to use it and you know they're going to use it, just get it done. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, get it done because it benefits you if you're going to get a deal done. Now, it's easy for me to say. You can't just take whatever their offer is if it's not what you think is equitable for the numbers you put up and what, you know, you're expected to do going forward. But if you're if there's common ground and it appears like there is, that both sides want this to happen, make it happen. The sooner you make it happen, the sooner the Jags know – Mm-hmm. how much you're going to impact them on the cap this year, what other moves they need to make, and maybe are able to free up some cap space to use on acquiring more talent sure. that can help you out. And that only benefits you uh, in the end on a competitive standpoint. Like, I get it. These guys at this stage are all trying to get every dollar that they possibly can. And um, I, I do think, I said yesterday, and you did as well, that ultimately I think Evan Ingram gets tagged uh en route to getting some kind of a deal done. Now, will it be a five-year contract? I don't know. But I think it'll be something in place of the franchise tag that guarantees him X amount of dollars. I saw a story yesterday when we were talking about Evan Ingram so much. uh, Somebody speculated on one of the major sites that he'll be looking for the $25 million guaranteed that Hunter Henry got. All right. Well, it depends on how many years we're talking about because you can easily structure a deal – with $25 million in guaranteed money that does not crush your salary cap for 2023. No, certainly. And that would basically be like saying he's going to play under – if that was a two-year deal with $25 million guaranteed, that's basically the franchise tag the next two years. Essentially, is what that would wind up being. Okay. Sure. You know, like if that's what they wind up having to pay Evan Ingram to uh, keep him in a Jaguars uniform. And I wouldn't be surprised if they had a third kind of – you know, voidable year or something beyond that, you know, uh, just because teams do a lot of that to spread the money out over the life of a contract. So I wouldn't be surprised if it winds up him signing a deal that's around $25 million guaranteed. Uh, if Christian Kirk has any say, then it's all over with. Yeah. Uh, it seems like the first guy to reply to Ingram, he said, you're not going anywhere, my boy. Um, <laughs> and I think that's the feeling around the team, and that's great. I think it would be a surprise as yeah. we've talked about this all season, if for in some way, shape, or form, I'm not writing off the idea that it's under the franchise tag that he plays under, but I think it's more likely that ultimately he'll get something worked out with 
you know, both sides, there, there's really not a lot of drawback to this unless Evan Ingram says, I want to reset the tight end market, which I don't get the sense that's what he's going to be looking to do. No, not based on anything we've heard to this point. No. no. So, uh, you know, a franchise tag. And again, if you're under the franchise tag, and you don't have the long-term deal worked out, then you got to consider how high do I potentially draft the tight end as we've talked about many times. They don't come in and hit the ground running right away all the time. In fact, it's pretty infrequent when they do. So sometimes you need that guy to have a year to really get to where he's going to be. Evan Ingram was an exception to that rule, by the way. Had one of his best years as a rookie. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, if you don't know if you're going to have that long-term deal done, I think it changes the calculus and what you might be looking at when the NFL draft rolls around. Uh, so Evan Ingram out there, uh, I think having a little fun with it. Um, and uh, hopefully, you know, at some point, in the near future, we'll get some news on that in a positive fashion that he is, in fact, not going anywhere, as Christian Kirk suggested yesterday on social media. So today, we got a new uh, Chad and Sandy real estate question of the day out there for you, and uh, we put it this way, and I'll allow if it's a guy like, like an Evan Ingram who finished the season as a member of the Jaguars and you think they're going to re-sign him. Like, for instance, if you think Arden Key, is going to be the guy mm -hmm. who's the answer to this, and you think he'll be back with the Jags. But the question of the day uh, presented by Chad and Sandy Real Estate asks you, which current Jacksonville Jaguar is most likely to have a breakout season in 2023? It's pretty much an offseason staple. We ask it every year. Uh, but who is that player on this roster right now that you think is going to take a big step forward? I'll say this. For me personally, like, you can say Calvin Ridley if you want, mm -hmm. but Calvin Ridley's already had a 1,300-yard season in the National Football League. Yeah. So just because he's going to put up numbers, anything he does as a Jaguar is going to be more than anything he's ever done as a Jaguar. Obviously, he's never suited up for them. For me, Calvin Ridley has already had a breakout season. Yeah. Unless you think he's going to come here and be a 1,600-yard 1600 1,600 yards, 15 touchdowns, put himself in the – conversation by the end of the year for a top five player mm -hmm. at the position that would be from where he last played at a high level his last full season that's about the only thing you could do yeah. to be considered a breakout could Trevor Lawrence be a breakout candidate I think he could mm -hmm. I, I mean if you could say hey you know he's going to throw 38 touchdowns next year keep the interceptions low that yardage with Ridley in the fold and hopefully Ingram back's going to jump up to maybe 47 4800 yards I think that would be a breakout season for Trevor Lawrence. So I think there's room to grow there. So uh, you can play along with that in any form you like. Uh, and if you want to get in on the phone lines or the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures, you can do that at 641-1010 or just hit us up on Twitter today at MD underscore 1010XL at 1010XL Fat Tony and at IME2 the T. Come on, somebody. ET, what you got going on in there today? Oh, man, man just making some graphics, man. You know, we got a, a guest coming on, you know, so I'm just trying to make Twitter all pretty. Yeah. going to join us here. Uh, James Stewart, uh, we're going to break a little bit early so we can keep it on time because uh, James got some things he's got to do later on this morning. So we're going to try to start with him sharp right about 1030 and to kind of, you know, go back over some of his recollections of his time here in Jacksonville, some of the best years of Jaguar football that were ever played. Uh, coincided with James Stewart's tenure here and his thoughts on where the Jaguars stand now and, most importantly, what they're going to do in the near future as well. If you want to be a part of it, you know the ways to do it. Uh, we've got Daniel Jeremiah's second mock draft of the offseason out. He's always a guy that we uh, take a 
look at. Uh, and uh, we've got a story at ESPN. They grade 19 players in this draft as first-round picks, mm-hmm. and that's it, right? And that's sometimes the case. You know, well, how many guys do you have a true first-round grade on? And that's why you see certain teams so often trade out like the Baltimore Ravens, other teams that are willing to trade back. They stick to their grade, and if they don't have a guy who has a first-round grade, they're not going to spend a first-round pick on him if they can help it, mm-hmm. and they'll trade back and accumulate more picks. We'll talk about the players on that list and who would interest you from the Jacksonville Jaguar perspective uh, as we go along today. So, about 20 minutes away from James Stewart joining the program. Again, the question of the day is out there. Who's the breakout player currently on the Jaguars roster? Somebody who's going to have that big season in 2023. With Tony Smith and E.T., I'm Mike Dempsey. You're listening to Jaguars Today on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Everything you need to know about the Jags. Jaguars Today on 1010XL. All right, about 15 minutes away from uh, James Stewart joining us. So we'll break early uh, coming up here in a few minutes just to get him on in time. One of the early, early Jacksonville Jaguars, a draft pick in the inaugural uh, draft along with uh, Tony Baselli in 1995 and uh, never had a 1,000-yard season in the Jaguar uniform but had two mm-hmm. with Detroit after leaving you know Jacksonville with the ACL injury uh, in 98, Tony, which enabled you know Fred Taylor in part to break out in such a big way as a rookie uh, that year. And a good player here. In fact, uh, his final season in Jacksonville in 99 when the Jags went 14-2 and in the regular season, James Stewart had over 900 yards on the ground and 13 rushing touchdowns yeah. that year. So uh, getting the job done, we'll talk to him coming up here uh, shortly. Wanted to take a quick peek. Daniel Jeremiah's got a second mock draft out. Uh, and I think the interesting thing comes nowhere near where the Jags are selecting. A couple of things are happening. One, I don't know if it's like once the first guy does it that everybody starts to follow suit, but Anthony Richardson is starting to slide a little bit in these mock drafts. And again, they're only mock drafts, and they're only he's only sliding in the opinion of the guys who put together the mock drafts. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean anyone's opinion in the league has changed about Anthony Richardson. No. Hopefully, guys like Jeremiah and Todd McShay, the ones with the real access, uh, are able to correctly discern what these guys are thinking about. So they're somewhat accurate in their projections of where they're going to go. That's why you follow these guys as much as you do. They're not going to hit on everybody, but – He's got Anthony Richardson, Jeremiah does, going to the Detroit Lions with the 18th pick, you know, which is one right in front of Tampa, uh, who some have speculated if Richardson starts to slide, might be a team that might be interested. All they have right now is Kyle Trask under contract uh, there in Tampa. So, anyway, I thought it was interesting that he Mm -hmm. fell a little bit. First mock I've seen where Will Anderson is not the top edge rusher off the board. Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech goes third, and uh, Jeremiah even, you know, anticipated the questions. First edge rusher off the board over Will Anderson? Said there's a lot of love for Wilson around the league. Combination of size, length, and productions as uh, teams very intrigued. Not that they're down, I don't think, on uh, Will Anderson. But point is, maybe there's more than one really good edge rusher in the draft, whether Wilson ends up going ahead of him or not. 
you better get that pick right if you pick Tyree Wilson over Will Anderson, right? <laughs> no I mean, doubt, Will yeah. Anderson's been talked about as the top player in this draft or among the top couple in this draft for a good bit yeah. at this point in time. And uh, I'm not that doesn't mean it's going to be right, but if you're going to buck that trend and you're going to take another player at the same position, you better make sure you got that right. Oh, yeah. like And it certainly would be bold if it was anyone but Anderson being that first kind of edge guy uh, coming out in this draft class. Well, imagine With if the way like, it's been discussed for a when, year and a half, basically, now. When Peyton Manning came out, there was some debate about Ryan Leaf. There was. Right? But if you had taken Ryan Leaf over Peyton Manning, who was a known commodity yeah. from the moment he came into college football, you know, that you expected him – to be the eventual number one pick in the draft. And it's not like he did anything in college to turn you off of that. No. You know, and Gator fans will say, I never beat Florida. All right, but that's that's not the standard. Did he have the package of tools that you felt could turn him into one of the all-time greats? Obviously, yeah. he did, right? Uh, so you take a guy like that over the guy who's been the presumptive pick. Doesn't mean you're wrong. And that's why you get paid big money yeah. to make these hard decisions. So, for the Jaguars, uh, he's got them going the tight end route uh, here. Um, Jackson Smith and Jigma comes off the board at 20. Quinton Johnson comes off at 21. Brian Branch at 22. These are all guys that when they fall, Quinton Johnson, the wide receiver from TCU, doesn't usually make it to the 24th pick mm -hmm. in mocks. Jackson Smith and Jigma does at times. And so you see him come off the board a few picks ahead of time. Brian Branch gets mocked to the Jags all the time. Yep. Right, can play corner, can play safety. Interesting player. I've seen Deontay Banks, who goes uh, – I'm sorry, I, I'm looking at the wrong one. I, I see Deontay Banks go right ahead of that. It's uh, Brian Brzee is the guy he's got him going with. It's not a tight end. I, I was looking at a different one mm -hmm. and uh, getting him confused in my head. Brzee is the guy from Clemson who's the defensive tackle that people think uh, – could be a pretty effective pass rusher from the inside, uh, was a former number one overall recruit, um, and I finally learned how to say his name. <laughs> At least I, I looked it up. I cared enough to look it up now that I've seen him mock to the Jags a few times. Yeah. Brzee. Uh, well, you've been saying, Tony, yeah. the pass rushing defensive tackle you think might be the top priority for this team. Yeah, and I think you combine that kind of thought with, you know, and we'll talk about what Matt Miller said about the players that are – ranked as first-round picks, right, that have a first-round grade in this year's right. draft. Brzee not among them. So probably at 24, you're not going to be getting a guy with a first-round grade in in this draft, right? Yeah. Probably not. Um, they're at number 24. And, yeah, all along I've been saying I think it's their biggest need is pass rush from the interior of the defensive line. So, yeah, I'd be all on board for that kind of pick. Uh, somebody replying to the conversation we are talking about, and you take a guy over the presumptive player, top player at that position, you mean like the Jags taking Trayvon Walker over Aiden Hutchinson? To some degree. Yeah. To some degree. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson wasn't on the level of Will Anderson or a Peyton Manning, you know, as kind of that can't-miss guy. But, yeah, I think uh, clearly more analysts, um, and if you believe like that Bob McGinn piece that he does – every year where he polls front office types, more people liked Aiden Hutchinson. Mm -hmm. There were some that liked Trayvon Walker as the top pick, but a scant few. But all it took is one, the guy making the call here for Jacksonville and Trent Baalke. And, uh, you know, for, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely fair. Yeah. And for one year, uh, 
he didn't get the most productive guy. You know, time will tell career-wise on that. All right, uh, so we'll get into that uh, list. It is interesting, I think, at ESPN. The guys that – I think it's Matt Miller put it together – uh, where they grade 19 players as worthy of being first-round picks. What do you do if you're sitting there at 24 and you're all out of first-round values on your board? Obviously, you try to trade back, but if it's not there, it's an interesting position. You might get stuck uh, taking a guy who's a little bit lesser value, or all it takes is one or two of your guys on your list doesn't mean you're drafting on Matt Miller's uh, to slip through the cracks mm-hmm. and make it to 24. And, you know, for whatever reason, they slide. And we always talk about those teams. You know, the Jags drafted in the top 10. You have to take a certain type, a certain position. That's where the value is. And then you see these teams that consistently pick in the 20s getting great values falling to them Yep. Uh, for a combination of reasons. Let's hope the Jags are one of those teams this year. All right, coming up next, uh, a guy that the Jags drafted – Oh, 28 years ago. Uh, James Stewart out of the University of Tennessee. Good Jacksonville Jaguar. Going to join us coming up next to catch up on what he's been doing post-career, uh, reminiscing on his playing days here in Jacksonville and his thoughts on the Trevor Lawrence, Doug Peterson-led Jags heading into 2023. That's straight ahead. You're listening to Jaguars Today on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. to know about the Jags. Jaguars today on 1010XL. All right, Mike Dempsey, Tony Smith here with you on Jaguars today. Tony, in the offseason, like to stretch out and uh, look through the Rolodex and bring in some classic Jaguars, we yeah. like to call them, from years past. Uh, guys that you really just cannot tell the full story of the Jacksonville Jaguar experience without uh, mentioning them, including them, and highlighting what they were able to do for this franchise. So let's welcome in the second ever draft pick by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Everybody remembers Baselli. What about James Stewart? <laughs> 19th overall that year. Trust me, you can do a lot worse than James Stewart in the first round of your NFL draft, ladies oh, and gentlemen. We've James is a that. really yeah. good player for this organization, and he's kind enough to give us a few minutes this morning. Little man, how you doing, man? What's going on? I'm doing fine, man. Just chilling. Just chilling, but doing fine. Well, good to have you on board, uh, and, you know, we want to take you down a little bit of a walk down memory lane before we get your thoughts on the current state of affairs with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Back in 95, James, uh, did you know that Tom Coughlin and company were hot on your tail, or was it a surprise when your name got called at number 19? Uh, it was a surprise. Um, I was back home with my family, um, and um, the last team that worked me out was the 49ers, and uh, – I thought I was going there, but uh, when Jags jumped up 10 spots to get me, yeah, that was, it was a bit of a surprise. You were part of the run here in 1996, obviously. That team, that season, it's immortal in the eyes of Jaguars fans, and it should be. What do you remember about that team and that season? Wow. Uh, well, you know, we had a bunch of new faces, um, and the season kind of went, you know, as the season went, we had a good season, pretty productive season. Uh, you know, kind of flipped our way into the playoffs. But I think once we got into the playoffs, I think it was, you know, all the all the guys came together, banded together. And uh, we just played, you know, in those playoffs, like, you know, for brothers. And uh, and nobody expected us to do anything. And, uh, you know, we just got on a roll. And it was just – it was a magical time. Yeah, for you, James, I think you were a really successful player here. And then you went on to add to your story – 
in Detroit. But it seemed like here, man, it, whether it was Natron or Freddie T, you're always sharing that backfield with somebody. That's not always the case for a first-round running back. Was that frustrating for you, or did you just look at it like, hey, it's good competition, it makes this football team better? I mean, well, I came from college where I was sharing the backfield with two or three other running backs. Yeah. And all those and all those running backs went to the pros as well. So I kind of was used to it from that standpoint. Um, and, you know, I'm a team-first guy. Um, so whatever the coach feels like is necessary, um, that's what I'm going to do. The one thing that I always, you know, said to myself is, hey, just because somebody's coming in here or there's competition, that makes me better because I know I have to stay on my game. I have to work hard. And the one thing that I that I that I did throughout my uh, career, and I was proud of, is that the one thing I did was I gave effort. And uh, no matter who else was in there, no matter what they was doing, I needed to go out and make plays for this team. And I felt like I did that. James, what kind of pressure did you feel when you wound up in Detroit? I mean, Barry Sanders had retired in 1998, right? Like after the 98 season, you show up to play running back for the Detroit Lions. Two years later, what kind of pressure was there added? going to be the guy after that guy? Actually, really, Barry was removed a year before I got there. So it wasn't like I just stepped right in and Barry had just stopped playing. Um, but with that said, um, I didn't have any pressure, really, because the thing about it is the Lions really showed me on my visit with them that they really, really respected what I did and what I brought to the table. And they told me from day one, they's like, we just want James Stewart. We don't care about you trying to do anything else. We don't care about you trying to carry the team. Just bring what you what we saw in Jacksonville, and we'll be fine. So from that standpoint, I didn't have any stress. Well, I think the big thing for you, James, was coming back off the injury and coming back in 99, and Freddie was banged up some of the time, and you got so much opportunity. You got more opportunity that year than any year here in Jacksonville and showed you could handle it uh, with 931 yards on the ground and 13 touchdowns. How important was that to – kind of, you know, not knowing maybe at the time that would be your final season in Jacksonville, to be able to kind of put it all together and say, hey, you know what, this is what I was capable of all along. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I always knew I was capable of those things. In in life and in coaching and in, in sports and whatever you're doing in life, the one thing you have to have is people who believe in you and put you in places to be successful. I'm not saying that, that Coach Coughlin didn't do that, but he had his style of the way he wanted me to run the ball. When I came from college, I was not a power runner. I was a cutback runner, if you look at any of my tape in college. So when I had to switch from he, – he didn't want any jumping around. He wanted you to go north and south. So when I had to change up my philosophy on how I ran, it changed who I was, basically. But because I'm a team player, once again, I tried to give the team what, what they needed, what Coach Coughlin wanted. But I always knew that I could be a, a successful and productive back in this league. James, talking about your season there in 1999, what comes to your mind when I say the two words, Tennessee Titans? Oh, God. You had to bring it up, huh? Had to do it, uh, man. It wasn't me. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, uh, you know, I still think about that to this day whenever somebody brings that question up. Uh and what it was is, um, you know, it, it, was a, it was an opportunity that we didn't take advantage of. And that's as simple as that. I know other guys are going to say other things, but it was just an opportunity that was right there for us to take, and we didn't take it. And, uh, and uh, I, remember, uh, I remember the game vividly. I remember um, uh, us, 
of warming up, and Tennessee really didn't have any enthusiasm about what they were doing down there. They were very quiet. Um, and uh, I remember going to uh, uh, going to a banquet, and Steve McNair was sitting beside me. Uh, there was an Ed Block Courage Award. Every team mm-hmm. got that trophy to a guy who came back from an injury. Well, Steve McNair was sitting next to him, and I asked him, I said, what? Y'all didn't come out with any energy or nothing. He said, we didn't think we could beat y'all three times. He said, but what happened was is y'all let us hang around. And the more y'all let us hang around, the more we gained confidence. And then we, once we realized we were in the game, that's when we, we tried to turn it on and win the game. And that's exactly what happened. And so that's the point that I, that I just hate, that I know we had an opportunity to get there. And uh, we just didn't take advantage of it. Talking with uh, former Jaguar running back James Stewart, I may feel worse about that. <laughs> season now than I ever have like to know that McNair goes we didn't think we could beat you three times James oh my gosh oh my goodness man I I don't know if I wanted to know that but uh <laughs> let me ask you man because like clearly none of the players playing now um were aware of what was going on in 99 they were too young uh you know but I felt like the team the players kind of tried to to understand and buy into that Tennessee rivalry this year. So for a guy like yourself who was thwarted by the Titans in 99, and we understand why they're the biggest rival of this team, was there any degree of solace for the Jags to sweep Tennessee this year, knock them out of the playoffs, and steal the division? Well, yes, because that means we took we took the next step. We beat them the first we beat them at home. We beat them on their turf. So we had never done that, so we went there and beat them on their turf, and then we beat them here. So yeah, it's a, you know, I, I was uh, glad that they did that, but I will have to say that that speaks to uh, Doug Peterson's leadership. Uh, those guys believe, they fight, and I don't think they ever go into a game thinking, "Well, we haven't beat these guys." They they just go into a game saying, "Hey, it's the next that's the next uh, team up, and we have to take them on." And I think we're capable of beating them, and they did that. James, did you have the chance to go to any games this year? I did actually, um, and uh, the first game of the playoffs. Um, so That's a pretty it's good one unusual, to be at. <laughs> it, it was. It's kind of unusual though, from a player standpoint, because I'm always been the man in the arena, not watching somebody else play the sport. So it's a little different from fans who are cheering out there who've never played the sport. So that was a little different for me. Yeah, we do post game with Fred Taylor. And so he was in studio with Mike and I after that game, that playoff game. And he said, that's the best atmosphere he's ever seen in that stadium. You've played in front of this crowd. You were there in 99 when Fred was going 90 against Miami. So you've been around for a lot of the big moments in this franchise's history. You were in the stadium for that wild card win as well. Where does that rank just in atmospheres for you in that stadium that you've been a part of? Well, I mean, I think that's got to rank probably maybe second or third because we had some pretty, pretty big-time moments uh, in in the first uh, five years of the Jags. Mm -hmm. And uh, some things that I don't think this city, even though the nostalgia of what happened in in the playoffs and all that, you have to understand this team just was brought to this city. And just to have the success early on that it did, it was like a love affair between the the players, the team, and the city. It's a little different now because of social media and all the stuff that's going on. But back then, there was just the nostalgia of it all. I think uh, it's high, but not as high as some of the times that we had 
early on. Yeah, I think Frank got caught up in the moment. I honestly did. I was <laughs> shocked when he said that, uh, you know, because I remember some of those atmospheres. It was a great one, don't get me wrong, but let's just say, like James did, one of the best we've ever seen here at TIA Bank Field. James Stewart, uh, former Jaguar running back here with us. James, you, like a lot of your teammates, ultimately settled here. You're a kid from Tennessee. You played here for five years, but then you left. You went to Detroit. What was it about Jacksonville that made you say, this is where I want to make my home? Well, actually, it was just a small uh, town field. I know Jacksonville is the largest uh, uh, state and some city um, land-wise, but it's got a small town field because it's so segmented. So it allowed me to come as a, as a, a Tennessee boy, uh, allowed me to come and, and be in a lower pace environment. And then that's kind of what my style is. And so, um, you know, it would have been hard for him. I was saying been hard for me, but I had a bigger, steeper learning curve, I think, if I had went to a Miami or a New York, mm-hmm. uh, been a country kid. So uh, it, just, it just suited me and, and suited my family. James, you got to play with Peyton Manning at Tennessee for a year when he was a freshman up there. You played behind Tony Baselli. You shared a backfield with Fred Taylor, among all the other men that you shared a field with over the course of your career. Who is the best player that you ever played with? Wow. Well, I played with Peyton Manning when I was in college, and he was just a young guy. I was a senior. He was a freshman. So I can't give him that right now, even though he started to be great. I've seen that early on. But I guess the greatest guy that I ever played with and, and, and uh, was Tony Baselli. Uh, we came in the same year, and I've seen this guy just take off and just blossom and, and be the, the star instead that he was. And – you know, to run behind him and for him to look at me and tell me, I know they know we're going right there, but we're going to go anyway. And that's what we did. And so I got a lot of that, and so I have so much respect for him, but it would be Tony. All right, Tony Pacelli, that's a, certainly a very defensible one. <laughs> He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame now. Uh, just a couple more minutes with James Stewart here. Uh, James, give us a thought. Uh, what do you see from Travis Etienne as a running back yourself? Uh, what do you like about his game? Boy, there's a lot to like about his game. Uh, electrifying, uh, you know, shifty, uh, can run with power, uh, can catch the ball out of the backfield. So I, I just think he, he does everything well. Um, I know he's been working on the ball control and keeping the ball, you know, not fumbling and, and things of that nature, and he'll get that. Um, but I just think he can do it all, and he's just a, such a versatile guy out of the backfield that I think it makes our offense that more, much more potent. James, what are your recollections of that five-touchdown day against Philadelphia in 97? My recollection is it should have been six, and I should have been the all-time, all-time in the history of the NFL. We were on – I had five, but we were on the one-yard line first and goal. And Coach was like, hey, I'm just going to go ahead and take you out. So my recollection is, is it was great. First of all, that, that evening, that, that game started off with Natron getting hurt. So let's just put that out there. That started off with Natron getting hurt. But then I got in and got my moments and, 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 and had some success. And that, that's due to the offensive line. That's due to a bunch of things, the tight ends, everybody blocking. But that that could have been one of the all – it could have been six instead of five. So when I look at things like that, look back on that, it is what it is. But that's one that got away from me. That's amazing, right? Like of all those <laughs> things. And I bet you – I'm going to guess at 12-minute – the 12-minute mark, that may be the longest – You've ever gone in an interview without anyone bringing up that five touchdown game? I may be wrong, but uh, <laughs> I, I bet that's a leadoff question a lot of times. James, yeah, let me let just we'll wrap up with this. Uh, you know, it, it seems like it's a good time here with Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence, and uh, you know some young talent uh, to go along with them. 
Uh, what are your expectations? What What is the ceiling for the Jags here in 2023? Hey, listen, at, at this point, where they're at and what they've shown uh, this past season, hey, the sky's the limit. Um, I think they can compete with anybody uh, in, in the National Football League, and uh, it's up to them to take that next step to really become a team that you fear, that not that somebody comes in and just thinks they're going to have, you know, some Kate Walker just going to win the game, but a team that, that is feared, and I think we're heading towards that direction. Got to love it. James, uh, what do you want fans to know about what you're up to these days? Man, I'm just chilling out. I got my own personal professional studio that I train people out of. And uh, just putting in the work, man, and just keep moving, brother. I'm blessed. You got a website for that uh, that training facility? No, man. No, I'm. I, that's how that's how blessed I. I'm just one on one personal training, man. A lot of my stuff is through people who know me and uh, friends of mine. So just keeping it real, trying to be trying to be live for the Lord, and uh, I'm blessed, bro. That's, that's awesome, awesome, man. Yeah. That really, that's awesome, James. All, all the best, and it's good to catch up with you. Sorry, it's been a while. Uh, since we have, but uh, we know you're out there doing your Duval thing and uh, proud yes, yes, proud sir. member of the alumni and uh, glad we could have you on to take a little walk down memory lane and hopefully we can all agree that uh, brighter times ahead for the Jaguars in the near future. Yes, sir, and I appreciate you guys. All right, buddy. There he goes, James Stewart, uh, out the door, little man, and we appreciate him hopping on today. What about Tom <laughs> Coughlin doesn't want a running back who jumps around? Yeah, have you seen any of Fred Taylor's tape, Tom? <laughs> like, what in the world? I know. I mean, let's let's draft James Stewart. Let's trade up for him. Take him 19th overall. Hey, James, I'm not sure about your running style yeah. here. I think I might know for you what might be a better style yeah. of running. Like I'm, I'm flashing back to how many times have we had the conversation with David Garrard, right, over the years where he's talked about his first – uh, vision of Fred Taylor was him stopping in the middle of the line of scrimmage and then taking off like a rocket and him in practice going, well, that ain't going to work. How's that going to work? You can't just stop your feet like that. And then they get in the game and you watch him go. It's like, you do you. you right, know? right. Oh, oh, you, oh, oh, you're like that, are you? Okay. Yeah, like that kind of thing. But that is funny. Don't want him dancing around. Just cut and go. It's like, huh? All right, so let's draft Fred Taylor in the first round of the draft. It worked out all right for everybody involved, though. Unbelievable, man. I, I got to look here and see if James' recollection is correct on uh, this because I've got him going back to that game against uh, Philadelphia, mm -hmm. scoring early in the fourth quarter, right? He scores his fifth touchdown of the game. Maybe it came a little bit earlier, but Philly goes on a, a, a pretty long drive and eats up a bunch of clock. Jags get it back. And Damon Shelton fumbles it away on the very first play. And so then Philadelphia goes on another, like, eight-play drive. And then the Jags get it, and they're at the Philadelphia 31-yard line and eventually stall out. So maybe he felt like, at that point in time, anywhere in Philadelphia territory <laughs> felt like the one-yard line, Tony. Maybe, but, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, isn't it funny? You can have – this is like – you know, for most people would look at it, the crowning achievement of James Stewart's career at the time tied yeah. the rushing mark for touchdowns. And had he had six, would have had the solo mark by himself until Alvin Kamara matched it a couple of years ago. I think on Christmas Day, right? Yep. Uh, for the Saints, scored the six touchdowns. Yep. Um, won a lot of people a fantasy championship <laughs> no that doubt. day yeah. in the uh, second to last week of the season. But to immediately <laughs> – here, here's what I remember about five – should have been six. It's kind of like <laughs> Freddie T, right? Right? What did he run for? Two thirty-four against Pittsburgh. Yep. Right. Should have been three hundred. 
Uh, and that's the way these guys think, and that's why they're as exceptional as they are at what they do because they don't just go, oh, you know, I scored a couple times. Mm-hmm. That's good, you know? Like, they understand what, what greatness is and when you're that close to getting it. James Stewart was not a – I wouldn't say a great NFL player, but he was a really solid yeah. player. And when you look at some of the first-round picks that the Jags have utilized in recent years to get – the five years like you got out of James Stewart, even with the big injury, to come back like he did the very next year and lead that 99 team on the ground, Tony, you know, uh, those 13 touchdowns, he was a huge part of why they were the number one seed in the AFC. A big part of it, and it felt like there in Detroit that, look, who knows what would have happened. He was going into, in 2003, would have been 32 right, for the Detroit Lions, so who knows what was going to happen with that. But, you know, reading through the history of it, getting ready to talk to Little Man uh, this morning on the show, I didn't ask him about the Greg Williams thing and and the injury he suffered against the Buffalo Bills and the player, Coy Wire, that injured him Mm -hmm. in that game, at least reportedly said, I shattered his shoulder and he never played again. I was showered with praise for that. It's a shame that's how it was. Now I see how, how wrong that was right kind of that bounty gate early on yeah you know kind of thing and James never played again who knows how much longer he could have played again he would have been 32 at that right. point but, but he, he was, had two out of three seasons with a thousand yards like he right. was playing really well for Detroit at that point he had his best two yards per carry seasons in his last two years yeah. in the league now part of that probably is he didn't get run into the ground early in his career right he came into the league a little bit older so in terms of NFL carries, by the time he got into his late 20s, for a guy who had been a first-round pick and a starter, yeah, he didn't have that kind of wear and tear on him, uh, which enabled him to, to go to Detroit and handle 339 carries in his first year by far. That's 90 more than he had at that point in any other season yep. of his career, and that was back-to-back double-digit touchdown seasons for him. Uh, you think about it, that five-touchdown game came in a year where he scored eight times on the ground, right? And uh, that's because you had Freddie T in the the mix. No, you didn't have Freddie T. You had Natron in the mix yep, as Natron well. And as, uh, yep. as James pointed out, Natron even started that game and got hurt, like, on the first series. Mm-hmm. And James came in and, you know, you got to be – there's a little bit of right place, right time. You score five rushing touchdowns no doubt. in the yeah. National Football League. You know, I mean, uh, guy goes out of bounds at the one-yard line, could have easily – uh, gone a different direction. The other one, though, honestly, I don't know if I've ever heard that story. <laughs> That's heartbreaking. That he, at the Ed Block Courage Award oh. dinner or whatever it was, he said to Steve McNair, why did you guys look so dejected in pregame warm-ups? And he said, we didn't think we could beat you Three for a times. third time yeah. that year, as good as you were. And to know that, and then to have McNair go, oh, man, we just – we." Started to hang around. Y'all let us hang around. And then we looked up. We're like, man, maybe we can win this football game. Tony, (laughs) a little faster start. Would we have taken their heart? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is just an open wound that you carry. I know. But, I mean, I've never heard it from the Titans' perspective. No. That Steve McNair, of all people, would admit, man, we just didn't think we had anything for you that day. That is crazy. Um, and look, what happened last year is nice. And the, for those guys, though, that'll always be, you know, particularly the guys, most of the guys on that team, 
didn't go somewhere else or didn't have the luxury of having a Super Bowl ring with somebody else. Sure. Um, and Not everyone got to be Keenan. No. Yeah. Right. And some and great if you did. Yeah. Right. But um, Burnell got one eventually. Right. Yep. As a backup. As, the, as with a the, holder there with New Orleans. With New Orleans. But yeah. he was on that roster. Yeah. You know, and, and he'll go. And he's got a Super Bowl ring at the house. Yep. You know, no matter what. Um, and it just it's you look at the opportunity that these Jags have right now, Tone. Yep. You know, and they came out of that game against Kansas City with the right attitude. I'm telling you, after the 2007 season in that playoff game against the Patriots, I'm sure there were some Jags that were dejected. It was a strange phenomenon to see how many of them felt like they had proved a point in losing but hanging with an undefeated team. You had a team here that had no recent track record of any kind of success yeah. outside of the second half of one season, and for them to come out of that game against Kansas City and at least make me buy that what they were saying, that they felt like they let the opportunity get away from them. Yeah. Like, it, it's this team is young enough that and, – and, you know, the core components can stay together long enough to rectify that. Yeah motivated by it but there's no guarantee that it'll happen like there's no promise that you're going to get another opportunity like that but I think the way that it felt with them coming out of the locker room they were proud of what they had accomplished but motivated by what they didn't right and I think that's kind of the direction it feels like everyone's pulling uh with that conversation since then I know D-Rock had an article that he put up this morning too on ESPN where he had the chance to talk to Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and Foyer Oluwakin and and Doug Peterson and asked them about those kind of things. And it's that kind of sense again that, yeah, we were close. Let's go. Right? Like, not we were close. Did you see how close we were? Look at us. Like We got close. Like, let's start and and let that drive us. Yeah, it's not that loss. That's the motivating factor going into 2023. That's a good thing. All right. Uh, there you go. That was fun with James Stewart. It Appreciate was. that. I didn't need to hear that line from uh, Steve McNair, but it does add a little bit to the lore of the Jaguars-Titans rivalry mm-hmm. over the years right there. So, appreciate little man. And, again, speaks highly for Duval County proper that so many of these guys just like, hey, I felt comfortable there. Small-town feel. Uh, big city with a small town feel, and it fit me. And uh, you know, James Stewart's not out there. He's not pumping a website. He's not doing. He's just like, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, taking it easy, doing a little word of yep. mouth stuff. I'm yep. doing my thing. I just love being here, and uh, you love to hear that uh, with so many of his teammates choosing to do the same. Hopefully, a lot of the guy. I mean, look, it's been that case really throughout the franchise's history, mm-hmm. right? And uh, it's not a surprise. I, I say it shouldn't be. It isn't a surprise at this point in time when you hear about guys uh, that decide to make Jacksonville their long-term home. All right, we'll take a break here halfway through. If you want to get in today, we're going to talk about breakout players and who are some of the candidates. We'll discuss that coming up in Hour 2 with Tony Smith and E.T. I'm Mike Dempsey. Jaguars today rolls on on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. My recollection is it should have been six and I should have been the all-time, all-time in the history of the NFL. We were on, I had five, but we were on the one yard line first and goal. And coach, like, hey, I'm just going to go ahead and take you out. All Jags, all NFL. Jaguars today on 1010XL. What happens when you get five? You want one more. <laughs> Nothing wrong with one more. You know what? Let's hope we get to be greedy, fat pigs here mm-hmm. in Duval, where we're like, yeah, that's nice, Trev. 
That's only three. <laughs> That's only three rings. What about four? Uh, and we got to get one for the thumb. We got to start on the other hand. Right. Come on, Brady got how many? Come on, yeah. let's go. Let's have the whole country watching going, God, I'm so sick of seeing Trevor Lawrence on TV. Right. Like, Enough already. It's always have... Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Jacksonville. Right. Can we have an AFC championship game without Trevor Lawrence in it, please? Please. Can we, can, in the can next we have decade? A, a nationally advertised product without seeing his face uh, you know, all over the TV screen and uh-huh. what have you. And, you know, quite <laughs> frankly, I don't care that much about that, but the whole I don't either. idea of. But the Mahomes thing is, it's a real thing for some people. The the aggravation of seeing him all Oh, sure. I, yeah. I was thinking more along the lines of, you know, I don't care if Trevor Lawrence has national endorsements or not, quite frankly. Like, no. I don't care about that. You know, I care only to the extent that is Jacksonville a place that if you succeed, you can make money like anywhere else. Uh, and that, therefore, they don't take, you know, a backseat to somebody else. Like, can you make your money here? Can you make your money in New York? Would there be a little bit more to be made in New York? There might be. Mm-hmm. Right? Let's not be crazy here. No, yeah. You know, the Jets are pitching to Derek Carr that if you can win a Super Bowl with us, you can be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and you think about it, I'm not saying he would be, Tony, right? No, He's yeah. never won a playoff game, right? Since 1960... Y.A. Tittle is the only guy elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame at quarterback who's never won in the postseason. So, I, I don't think of Derek Carr as a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's been a nice quarterback. He's fine. Yeah. Right? But if you were to win a Super Bowl with the Jets, you know, you'll <laughs> you'll be immortal in New York. Yeah. No question about it. But, you know, it's interesting that they are approaching him like that, though, because how can you go, hey, Derek, come here. We got a, a good team in place, and they do, they right? Do. They got a good defense. They've yeah. got some offensive skill guys desperately in need of a competent quarterback. Come here. We're going to pay you. You can win. You could be a Hall of Famer. You can write your story. There's still plenty of time left. You got another eight years in the league to write your story. Mm-hmm. Go win an MVP and lead the Jets to the Super Bowl. You can't make that pitch then and go, hey, Derek, um, Let's just wait and see what Aaron Rodgers is going to do, right? I mean, you can't do that, right? If Derek yeah. Carr goes, hey, I really like what you're saying here, let's get something done. Yeah, what's the offer? What's yeah. the offer? Let's yeah. go, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, now his brother, David, maybe much to Derek's chagrin, he probably should keep his damn mouth shut, said this is going to be a little bit of a long process here. I think you want to keep the the burner lit under these teams. Yeah quicker the better right let them feel the pressure that hey if I don't give Derek Carr what he wants I'm going to be the one without the chair when the music stops Mm -hmm. somebody's going to be maybe a couple of teams this offseason uh in terms of upgrading their quarterback position yeah I get the carrot that is potentially dangling out there with Aaron Rodgers right like you get why someone would be interested in bringing in Aaron Rodgers but only one team if anybody is going to be able to have Aaron Rodgers play quarterback for him. Right, and then, you know, you, you factor in a lot of things. And he's not a free agent. Not a free agent. you got to give up maybe a first-round pick to get him. Yeah. you got to pay him, you know, $50 bucks or whatever. Derek um, Carr has the advantage right now that no one else can even talk to anybody else. Correct. They can only talk to him, right? So if he could get it worked out now and find the landing space he wants to go to, Right, if that's where if if he's talked to these different teams and said, you know what, the place I want to be is the Jets, then yeah, it behooves him to get it done now. If I I knew that I could get Aaron Rodgers for my first round pick, 
I might prefer that. Like, I'd have to talk to Rodgers to get a, a multi-year commitment out of him playing. Sure. And I don't know you're going to get that at this point. You know yeah, what I mean? He doesn't like, strike me as do that you, type right. of guy at this point. Do you yeah. want to go all in for one year? Now, maybe you can get him for less than a first-round pick if that's the case, right? And if they – if mm-hmm. like that article that came out on, I believe it was Friday, that said that the Packers are disgusted – or it was written off of uh, the the podcast where Bob again appeared, who's covered the team for a couple of decades or more. Uh, said the team's disgusted with Rodgers. They've had enough. They're fed up that he will not be the starter for them this year. But that doesn't mean if he goes somewhere else that he's going to not pull this stuff every offseason. Sure. You know, and, and that may – look, if you're a desperate team, that that may be enough. One year. Uh, one year of promise. I mean, because, again, what's the window, Tony? If you win it. And anybody said, oh, Aaron Rodgers couldn't do it with a better team in Green Bay. Is his team in Green Bay better than the Jets outside of him, outside of the quarterback position? I don't know if they are. I mean, they got a solid defense as well. Yeah. I think he's – I don't think the team currently, no. I don't – I think the Jets are probably better. The, the, the roster. Packer. Right. Like, yeah. it's – you know, there's – the other side of – obviously, there's nobody you can bring in. It's like, yeah, we're going to win a Super Bowl because we brought in X. Right, like that. Yeah, even if you brought in Patrick right. Mahomes, you can't guarantee and that. That evidence is Rodgers has only won one. Correct. You know, like despite uh, the talent that right now it may be less than what they have with the Jets, but it hadn't always been in no. Green Bay. Right, there have been times when yeah they had maybe one of the top two or three rosters in the league and didn't win. But it's like you know, you, well, he couldn't win in Green Bay. Why would he win with the Jets? Well, it's the circumstances have changed. The roster is a lot better, and yes, the AFC is tougher. Uh, than the NFC right now. I mean, I I get it. I'm not saying it's likely that he would, but to discount the idea like like the Jets wouldn't want to take that shot, uh, but they might be better off just for a number of factors if they can get a multi-year commitment from Derek Carr and get it done and not have to give up any draft picks, pay less money, eat up less cap. And uh, again, these guys never won a postseason game, so... It's not like that's a guarantee of any success, but it's no, definitely yeah. a massive upgrade over what they are rolling out right now. I uh, just want to throw this one in because uh, we got a couple of minutes here. And uh, coming up next, want to get into ESPN's list of what they grade out as 19 first-round talents in this year's NFL draft from the desk of Matt Miller there at ESPN. But I saw this uh, tweet, Tony. I'm going to take it for gospel that this is accurate. I don't know if you saw this or not yesterday. Uh, this is from a, a Twitter handle called ACL Recovery Club. Okay. okay. And it's got a grid for the last 10 years, the list of every torn ACL documented in the National Football League by team. It doesn't list by player, just lists by team um, how many torn ACLs every franchise has suffered. Now, is there is it just random luck or is there something, the training methods that mm-hmm. prevent ACLs or, or, you know, I, there's always going to be a luck factor. There's no question about it. But I look at this. The Jags have not had a torn ACL, and I'm, I'm not trying to jinx anything, obviously, right? Knock on wood. Jags are one of two teams along with Houston that has not suffered a torn ACL in the last two seasons, hmm. right? San Francisco hasn't had a year go by without a torn ACL in the last decade, usually multiple ones. They've had 28 in the last 10 years. That's the NFL high. You've had another five or so teams, uh, Philadelphia, Arizona, Washington, Green Bay, and the Chargers that have had 20 or more in that period. The Jags have only suffered 11, which is one of the lowest totals in the league. Atlanta's had eight. That's in a decade. 
It's just a weird stat. Yeah, it's weird, yeah. right? Like, I mean, every play is a recipe for somebody to potentially do this. The Raiders have had nine. The Bears and Texans have had ten, and the Jags uh, tied with the Colts with only eleven. Um, the Giants in the last two years have had 11 torn ACLs suffered among their players. They had six this past year, which, as I glance through the chart, looks like the most, uh, along with the Chargers back in 2016, the most any team has suffered in a single year. Just Probably just an oddity mm-hmm. as much as anything, but um, did think it was interesting uh, that at least in the last couple of seasons the Jags have avoided that particular injury bug. And you compare it like San Fran. It's a seemingly well-run organization like the – it's not like I don't think they're doing anything uh, that that is not in line with trying to protect their players, and uh, I think it's just a bad luck kind of thing. But I just found it kind of interesting that the Jags are, you know, less than fifty percent of what the top teams have suffered at that particular spot. No, it certainly is. I wonder, you know, with the Colts being so low on that list and Houston being so low on that list too, I do wonder how much has to do with. I would like to know even the teams that have suffered the most where. Right. Is it cornerbacks trying to chase uh, guys, or right. is it like you don't get tear your ACL when you're getting trucked by Derrick Henry? Right. Like <laughs> where, what kind of injury, like where it happens, and I mean like what kind of turf are you playing on too? Sure. Most often when this kind of thing happens, which that, the, the flat number is not going to give you an answer to that. And right. that Indianapolis and Houston are so low on the list make me think that maybe it's less of a factor than it is in my mind. Right, because those are two teams that are playing indoors, so they aren't high on the list necessarily. But then you see, like Arizona's way up on the list, and we know we just listen to all the complaints about Arizona. You know, it's so I I do wonder if they if anyone has broken it down that these teams have suffered this many. This is where they happen. Well, the the top uh, six teams on this list all play on natural grass playing surfaces. Mm-hmm. So go figure. Yeah. Right, I mean, all the talk about how turf is the the big evil out there, and sure. uh, maybe certain surfaces are. Uh, and as somebody pointed out in the comments too, this includes all ACL injuries. They don't only occur during games, right? They occur during practice, uh, yeah, during the no week, doubt. and things yeah. like that. So it could be a different surface that you're working with. But uh, I just thought it was, you know, it is interesting. interesting that it's that low. Right yeah. now, that doesn't mean you've been completely healthy all that time. No. Although the Jags were remarkably overall very healthy last year, but uh, particularly in the ACL category. Denver has had a dozen in the last uh, three years, five in 2025 and 2022. That's a bunch. That's a bunch. Man, that's a lot to deal with. All right, uh, I had an interesting question on the text line as well. I don't know if we'll have time to get to it uh, today, but I want to come back and take a look at uh, Matt Miller's ranking of first-rounders for this year's NFL draft. Which guys are he can do? does he consider to be a first-round talent? And therefore, when the Jags are on the clock at 24, would this player be under consideration? We'll run through those players coming up next. Again, the question of the day presented by Chad and Sandy Real Estate asking you, uh, which current Jaguar do you think is going to have the biggest breakout season in 2023? We'll discuss that before we get out of here today as well. With Tony Smith and ET, I'm Mike Dempsey. You're listening to Jaguars today on 1010XL 92.5 FM. And uh, it's up to them to take that next step to really become a team that you fear. 
that not that somebody comes in and just thinks they're going to have, you know, some Kate Walker just going to win the game, but a team that, that is feared. And I think we're heading towards that direction. All Jags, all NFL. Jaguars today on 1010XL. E.T., is that uh, interview available for your listening pleasure already? And you know this. Man, you can go right <laughs> on SoundCloud and hear that interview. You know your boys on All right, but it. wait until noon. Listen to the rest of the show. Oh, yeah, you know what? And then it'll be ready for you right <laughs> I there. Did, I just didn't want to get the people you know, what they want. You know, they can listen to that, and then you can jump back into XL Prime Time. That'll be fine. <laughs> You're right. You know, that's fine. Um, keep it live here on Jaguars today. But, yes, it is available for you if you missed James Stewart uh, with us uh, a little less than an hour ago. That was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Uh, got another one in the can, or not in the can, but uh, in the pipeline for next week as well. But we'll let you know about that when it gets a little closer. All right. Uh, you and I both have a little bit of an issue with this ESPN criteria on how Matt Miller is defining first-round players. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he said, you know, for instance, he goes, there are 31 picks in the first round. Most teams will not have 31 first-round grades. Don't disagree. No, yeah. Right? We'll ask our draft analysts as we go through it often. Well, how many players do 20, have a first round grade on? Yeah. Whatever. Whatever, whatever the number is. It's like it's not going to be 32. No, it's most never 32. Years. Right. So, okay, how many do you have that kind of grade on in this year's draft class? That metric makes total sense to me. Right. But then he said, uh, you know, one NFC team told me it limits its board to just 15 first-round grades to make scouts be more critical before handing out a special grade. That makes no sense to me either. Yeah. Well, no matter how good the 16th guy is, he can't be a first-rounder. We're limiting it to 15. Yeah. What? Well, just rank your top 15. Just rank them. Rank them. <laughs> rank, I mean, like, so uh, that's their formula, though. Okay. So then Matt Miller says, I set out to list every player with a first-round grade. I ended up with 19 names, down from 20. In my late January update, up from 17 in early December. I get it. Your, okay. your, yep. your evaluations on players shift a little bit. But then he says, my own rule of thumb is evaluating whether each player would have been a first-round pick in every one of the past five draft classes. So you're telling me these 19 guys all would have been first-round picks in each of the last five classes. So that means there weren't five guys in each of those drafts that you would have said the same about. Because if there were, that's 25 spots taken up. Right. Then you can't have. Or it's just poorly worded i don't know right? it just like seems it should, like it's the only way you get a first round grade is if you would have automatically been a first round pick each of the last five years that makes no sense yeah like how many players did you have with a first round grade last year right okay whatever that number is it is i don't understand the five years would have been in the first round of i don't each either of these, like i just don't understand even what you're saying with that sentence. If you took, like, if you just went through drafts, right? You took, all right, Trevor Lawrence, would he be in a first-round pick in every one of those drafts? Yes. Okay, there's one spot now that yeah. you've taken up. You can do that with any number of guys, right? Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons be a first-round pick in any one of those drafts. Obviously, he wasn't going to be the number one overall pick because mm-hmm. he wasn't. But would he be a, been a first-round pick? Yes, he would have, right? So there's two spots. So, I mean, quickly, yeah. you're going to eat up. 32 spots, so you tell me that these 19 guys would have all been first-round picks and there are only then 13 spots left from the last five years that would have qualified right. under the same well, conditions. even if you look at the last five years, and if you're including this year as the fifth year, if you look at the last five years and include this year and you say, I have 100 players that I had a first-round grade on, okay. You know, <laughs> those five years, year. that's not unreasonable for there to be 100 players with a first-round grade 
over a five-year period, about 20 a year. Okay, I understand that. I don't understand what he's saying would have been a first-round pick in every one of the past five draft classes. I don't know what that sentence means. Like, it means something in his head. I think what he's saying is that in any draft, at any point in the last five years, if Bryce Young had been in it, he would have been a first-round pick. It wouldn't matter. And I'm not yeah. disagreeing with which Bryce is, Young. Which is fine. Why would you need to qualify with that as opposed to saying, I have a first-round grade on Bryce Young? I don't know. Right? Like, anyway. That, let's, I don't let's know not, what we're comparing it to. It's we, just weird. We got. Let's not get any more caught up on that. Let's uh, quickly go around the league, and we'll go through 19 names, rapid fire, should the Jaguars have interest with the 24th pick on these uh, 19 players ranked by ESPN if they are available to them at pick number 24. Uh, let's let Tony take you around the league. Now, Gems Around the NFL, brought to you by Beaches Jewelry and Pawn in Jack's Beach. Surgery to repair Brock Purdy's UCL has reportedly been delayed due to swelling in his elbow. He's still expected to get the surgery soon enough that he will be ready for training camp. For the 49ers, Kansas City wide receiver Mecole Hardman underwent successful groin repair surgery on Wednesday. Hardman is set to become a free agent next month. He missed nine regular season games this year in two of the three Chiefs playoff games, playing in the AFC Championship game against Cincinnati, but was placed on injured reserve before the Super Bowl. Seattle has signed offensive guard Phil Haynes to a one-year contract extension. Haynes has started five games in four seasons for the Seahawks. Jim Caldwell who has been hired as a senior assistant with the Carolina Panthers, said on Tuesday that he is done seeking out head coaching jobs. Caldwell has been interviewed for head coaching positions over a half dozen times since being fired by Detroit after 2017, including Carolina and Denver during this year's coaching searches. Caldwell said, quote, Right now, the only job I'm concerned about is the job I do here, right here and now. I'm not worried about the future or anything else. I don't plan on being a head coach from this point forward. End quote. All right. Uh, as far as Miko Hardman goes, look, probably a pipe dream. That's a player I'd love to add mm-hmm. to this roster, right? Especially if you could get him, like, on a three-year manageable deal, like a Zay Jones kind of deal, right? Like, I think he's got the speed to stretch the field. He would be a potential replacement for Jamal Agnew a year down the line, you know, as a return man. Um, can do a lot of the gadget stuff. Uh, you know, in terms of runner reverses, and you just want to talk about adding a pure speed element. I think it's too much of a luxury for this team, and they don't have the cap space to execute. I'm just saying, wish they did. Yeah. You know, that like that. That's not a one that's gonna shake up the NFL world when he no, signs. Yeah. You know, it's not AJ Brown getting traded to Philadelphia, but I think that guy could come in here and help this football team. Yeah, the kind of player that you can see Peterson having a ball with. Yes, right. Like, yes, like that kind of guy. All right, Tony. Uh, for whatever reason. This player has fallen to pick 24 okay. in the NFL draft. What is your level of – how much pause does it give you to consider him? You might not have thought he'd be available. Whatever the case, I'm going to give you 19 names. You're going to say yes or no, basically, in terms of whether the Jags should have significant interest when that player is there when they're on the clock at 24. Uh, Bryce Young. <laughs> I know, but I'm just I'm playing the game here. Yeah, um, only as a trade candidate. Right, yeah. uh, right. You're not going to draft Bryce Young. You're not – Drafting him to play him. Correct. All right. And so Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Will Levis are all guys that are in this column. And it's the same thing. Like if you're there, you're like, really? This guy fell? I mean, Will Levis, what if Will Levis does fall, right? And he's sitting there. Maybe some team does want to trade up uh, for you. You're not going to be interested in taking him because why spend a first round pick on a guy that Mm -hmm. will hopefully never play a snap for his entire career? 
yeah. here in Jacksonville, right? So the quarterbacks are out. Uh, my guy Bijan. <laughs> All right, now now let's get to Bijan, yeah. who we can give the ball to three hundred uh, times. Not out of consideration. Number five overall player. Yeah, as graded by Matt Miller. I mean, I just that's what I come back to. This is not like hey, you can get a running back. Do you, as the Jaguars scouting department, GM, head coach, coaching staff, is the combined brain trust? Do they look at him at Bijan Robinson? This guy's a top seven player. Yeah. If you got a top seven player at any position, I think you got to consider it. Like a top seven talent quarterback's not going to make it to you. Running back might, very possibly might. Mm-hmm. Could be off the board. I almost prefer that he's gone. You know, like, uh, because part of me is going to go, I don't know if there's more of an instant impact guy <laughs> that you could take at 24 than Bijan Robinson, quite frankly. And I get it. Like, we got Travis Etienne. I think Bijan Robinson's better. Um, you're going to have to add to this running back room anyway. Uh, I really hope he's gone. Honestly, I do. Uh, but interesting that they rank him fifth overall. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba or Jordan Addison, for sure. that matter. Sure. Right. Both uh, reasonable to consider a 24. Grant, as long as you, the organization, has the similar grade. He ranks those players. Matt Miller does at ESPN. 12 and 13 overall. The only first-round graded wide receivers, okay. by the way, including Quinton Johnston and all the rest. Not making the cut. Michael Mayer, tight end out of Notre Dame. Yeah. Okay, what if uh, they, what if they got a multi-year deal done with Evan Ingram? Uh, I could... I think it's still worth considering depending on the other options that fall to them. There. That's the only tight end that yeah. they have ranked there. Um, I'll, I'll group these guys together a little bit. Peter Skaronsky out of Northwestern. Uh-huh. These are offensive tackles now. Broderick Jones out of Georgia and Paris Johnson Jr. out of Ohio State ranked 8th, 14th, and 16th respectively. Uh, you didn't you didn't bring back Jawan Taylor. Uh yeah, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't take it out of consideration, right? Like I think it is again that kind of evaluating it against other players positions that kind of thing. But if the thought experiment we're doing here is one of these 19 guys is the guy that's available at 24. Yes. Is this guy worthy of that pick? I think, yeah. The offensive well, lineman, w- yeah. And worthy it's, for this team. Yeah, it's so hard to find big bodies like that. And if that means that Walker Little is going to be your left tackle, if he'll be your right tackle this year, your left tackle next, next year, year, fine. See, that's the plan, right? That yeah. would be the plan. Juwan, all right, we wanted you back. You priced yourself out. Congrats to you. Walker Little's your right tackle. Cam Robinson's your left tackle. You bring in this guy. You let him compete, by the way. Yeah. You let him compete. And if he wins one of the jobs, great. And that would be with an eye towards, okay, we're going to roll out of Cam's deal after two years. It's a three-year deal anyway. Walker Little is who we invest our money in on the offensive line. He'll Mm -hmm. be our left tackle for the next five, six years of Trevor Lawrence's tenure. Sure. That would be the formula. So I'm with you on that. No interior offensive lineman graded in the first round. Good. Okay. Um, Edge rusher. Certainly Mm -hmm. Will Anderson, Miles Murphy, Tyree Wilson. Those guys have been consistently mocked in the top 10, right? Chance of them making it to you. There'd have to be a reason why he made it to you, right? And then you'd have to start to get into what's the reason here. I don't see any of those three taking the fall. Lucas Van Ness out of Iowa, though. 19th. He's the last guy rated as a first rounder here. And I see him all over the place, right? Beginning yeah. with the early teens into the twenties. Uh, what about Lucas Van Ness? Uh, they they need pass rush help. So if they feel like they're get it again, if it's one of those where we got twenty guys with a first round grade, we're picking twenty four, 
and the one guy we have with a first-round grade available to us at 24 is Lucas Van Ness, then pull the trigger. If they grade him that way. Yeah. They compare him to George Karloftis, who went late first round uh, this past year. Here's the, here's the issue. Guy's a rotational player. Yeah. And I, there's a big projection. He didn't start. And he had 13 and a half sacks, 52 pressures, coming off the bench as a rotational player. That's a little scary <laughs> for me, right, to take a guy like that sure it is, yeah. in the first round. Um, Jalen Carter is going to be nowhere near there. Nope. No linebackers right here. I think any of these corners, uh, yeah. any of the corners would be uh, Devon Witherspoon, Joey Porter Jr., Christian Gonzalez, usually all mocked off the board before the Jags select. Mm -hmm. Not entirely, and you don't know. Cam Smith could be in a, There are other corners out there, but I think you'd be interested in any of those corners yep. right now. And then Brian Branch out of Alabama, who I have actually come around a little bit on. You see him mock to the Jags a bit. Uh, they think he can play nickel. They think he can play safety. They think he can play in the box. He, just a good all-around player in the secondary who they compare, uh, or at least Matt Miller does, to Tyron Matthew. What What is your interest level if Branch is there? Sure. I think Look, you got to have a plan for how you're going to use him. Yeah, I think he can play all over the place. So he'd be a versatile weapon, but he can play in the slot. So, yeah. Like if a he guy can play that in the you, slot, you, you, you'd play, probably play him in the slot for a year. Yep. And then you let him compete, and he's either going to compete for a starting safety or cornerback job on the outside in yeah. year two. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. It, I, I've come around to him a little bit. Like a straight safety. I'm not as interested in there, but a guy with his versatility. They got to be able to play corner, like to at least play it to some degree. I think if you're going to be the first round. Player. And the point here is that he can guard tight ends and slot receivers, yeah. they feel. So uh, pretty good size at six foot 193. That's good size if you're playing the slot. And if you project him, yeah. you know, you, you got to project him, though, to be more than your nickel corner. And even though that guy plays 60% of the time, when I'm picking a guy 24th overall anywhere in the first round, I want him to, within by the second year, kind of project out to be a full-time player, mm -hmm. right, if he's a first-round pick. Now, clearly, the Jags have missed on a lot of those guys, but that doesn't mean that changes what you want and your expectations are going sure. into it. Anyway, uh, that's up at ESPN.com if you want to check that out. All right, when we come back on the other side, let's talk about some breakout candidates for the Jacksonville Jaguars and where we're going to give our vote for the most likely uh, to break out in 2023. With Tony Smith and E.T., I'm Mike Dempsey. You're listening to Jaguars today on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Everything you need to know about the Jags. Jaguars today on 1010XL. All right, today's Chad and Sandy real estate question of the day, asking you which current Jacksonville Jaguars most likely to have a breakout season in 2023. 23, I always liked uh, the game breakout. I always like mm -hmm. using the the gif of the game breakout. Uh, I was never all that good at it, um, unfortunately. <laughs> Once it started getting a little up in that top area and started bing, 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 bouncing around real fast, sure. um, I had not much of a chance <laughs> uh, when it came down to the bottom section. Once again, uh, if you've never played breakout, you – you should have lived in a simpler time like mm. me. All right. Uh, all right. So, Tony, um, I think before you determine who is going to be the breakout, you have to determine who the candidates are realistically. Sure. The breakout. So, let's uh, try to dissect that with a 10 10 take. 10 10 10 10 take. Now, Mike Dempsey's 10 10 take brought to you by Northern Tool. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. We're made for this. 
All right, a lot of players have had varying levels of success so far in their careers, right? Mm -hmm. For instance, uh, you know, Christian Kirk, you could argue, had a breakout season this year. First 1,000-yard season of his career. Could he have a breakout in 2023? I think it would be very difficult to have a season that he would universally be looked at and saying, wow, he really broke out. I think it would have to be like a 1,400-yard, maybe 12-touchdown type year for him. Yeah. Uh, like going through the whole roster and I was, you know, going through the depth chart. And if I thought, okay, I could see the breakout, it would look like this. Mm-hmm. I would jot the name down. Okay. And when I got through the whole roster, I had a list of six. Six. All right. Let me see if I can match your list of six. Mm-hmm. All right. Or figure out your list of six. I think Trevor Lawrence. Trevor's on Should there. be on the list of six. Um, I think uh, Trayvon Walker and Devin Lloyd are both on They're the both list on of there. six. Right. Um. How about Andre Sisco? He's on there. Okay. Uh, Two more. How about Tyson Campbell? Nope. No? I didn't have him on my list. No. But but if you had like an eight or nine interception season? Sure. I think that would qualify. That would qualify as a breakout. Right? Uh, what about Josh Allen? Josh I had on the list. Okay, so you got one more? I got one more. ETN? ETN. Okay. Yeah. It's and- t- I think you could be a breakout offensive lineman. You'd have to... Like Brandon Sheriff making the Pro Bowl, that's number six. That's not a breakout, yeah. right? Uh, if any other Jaguar offensive lineman, though, made his first Pro Bowl, that's a breakout That's season. a breakout kind of season, yeah. Um, I think, and then going through, I had that list of six, and I don't think Campbell's a bad one is kind of that seventh. Like, mm-hmm. I think he makes sense with that kind of big season. And then going through my head, like, what would my answer to the question be? Right, like most likely. So then I thought, okay, who's least likely among those six or seven? And I'd probably have Campbell if I added him to the list to be the least likely. How come? As uh, the breakout can't – because I just think six, seven interceptions in today's NFL just doesn't happen. Okay. Right, like it's less about my expectation from the talent of Tyson Campbell, more about the state of the league. Okay. Right, to the opportunity to have that kind of breakout season. And – Beyond him, I think Josh Allen would probably be the bottom of that list for me. Because breakout for him, he's been a pro bowler. He's been a double-digit sack right, guy. Breakout for him is at least 15 sacks, Yeah, it's 15-plus, which I think is within range of his possible results in 2023. But I do think it's the very, very upper end of the range for, for Josh Allen. So I'd probably put him right there, right next to Cisco. Um the most likely of those breakout candidates, probably Devin Lloyd. Right? That's who I think yeah. is the breakout candidate. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I I think uh, at bare minimum that he's not going to be pulled off the field basically for three games this year. Uh, that he'll have enough of a grasp on the defense to not have to deal with that. Well, are you saying you anticipate he won't be or he, he can't be? If won't he's, be. He better not be. Yeah. Right? I mean, if he's going to have that kind of season, that's that's the starting point yeah. with him. I think there's a lot of room to grow beyond that, though. You know, like I do too. Just in terms of making splash plays, uh, if they utilize him as a pass rusher a little bit more, he's not going to be a 12 sack guy. But could it be a four or five sack guy? Be a guy who does play 95 percent of the defensive snaps. Yeah. You know, not be a liability in coverage, and be you know basically a sideline to sideline tackle machine along with a Lewican. Yeah. Look, and I think you go back and look at Devin Lloyd's rookie year and it's hard to see past the the being benched, right? Like it's just hard to see past that, but uh how often does 
a middle linebacker for the Jacksonville Jaguars, but really most teams in the league have three interceptions in a season. Right. Like, that's pretty exceptional, right, that you are around the ball that much, recovered two fumbles on top of that. So he's an athletic guy, and the 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 mind needs to catch up with the feet, so to speak, with Devin Lloyd. And I think a real offseason in an NFL program is going to help him in that regard, uh, and he won't have to go into training camp, hopefully this year, dealing with an injury on top of that. Um, six interceptions led the league this year, although last year, uh, Diggs and Dallas had like what? Double figures, didn't he? Something like that, yeah. I mean, he was ridiculous last year. Um, Tyson Campbell had three this year. If he doubles it, is that a breakout season? Like that that would put him with yeah. the league leaders. yeah. I, I think he could get there, honestly. I do. If if that's the bar, getting his hands on three more passes and hauling him in, uh, I definitely think he could get there. But I think part of that is, will the pass rush be improved enough to give him those opportunities? Sure. And I think you go look at, you know, Dick's season. He did have 11 in 2021. Okay. And I think part of the deal with Trayvon Diggs is even him being the ball hawk that he was – no one was really scared to keep throwing at him, right? Because he was the guy that would give up the big play with the interception, right? Like he rewarded the defense with making big plays on the ball, but he also hurt the team by giving up big plays enough that teams weren't like, you know what, I'm not going that way. And if you look at the metrics this year, especially with Tyson Campbell, with Darius Williams being the guy on the other side, it did feel like week-to-week teams were just like, you know what, we're not messing with Campbell as much. He's shutting down as much as he can that side of the field. I just feel like his opportunities for to make that many big plays are going to be limited by what's playing on the other side of the field. We might as well just go that way because we know we're not going to have to deal with Tyson Campbell if we just go the other way. Uh, Trayvon Diggs went from 11 picks to three. Yeah. At 11, had two touchdown returns uh, amongst those 11 I'd really like to see a breakout because I've heard that that same thing too. Like you don't get that many opportunities in today's NFL. Now, some yeah. of it, I think too, is they allow him to freelance a little bit. And so he probably jumps more routes, probably comes off his man a little bit more uh, than the typical cornerback does in today's mm-hmm. NFL. Um, and they might be okay with that. Like, you know, if you, those are game changing type plays and you might, figure the calculus is, you know what, we'll give up a few more third down completions, but yeah. we're going to we're going to turn games around a lot more times if we cut him loose. Yeah, and I'm, you know, thinking through the list, I I would pick Devin Lloyd as my guy that I think is mm-hmm. most likely uh, to be the breakout candidate and I'm debating even to this moment whether at number 2 on that list for me is Trevor Lawrence or Travis Etienne. Uh, it's tra- uh Trevor Lawrence for me. Yeah. And I think the Etienne thing so many times this season, he had runs that were just that half step away from the big one. Like the whole first half of the season, he would have one a game, right? Where it was just that one step away. And I think a breakout season for ETN is somewhere in that 1,700 total yardage, right? I think that's kind of the breakout season for him, which I, there is no other running back right now on the roster to take anything away from him. I think we saw in the last month and a half of the season that he was making those explosive runs more consistently. So if he does that for the whole season, I 
debating whether I think that's more likely or Trevor Lawrence, who I think is going to take that step from year two to year three. I, it's it's close in my mind between. If those you two. ask me, will, will Trevor add eight touchdowns to his total, where Travis Etienne add five to his? I'd bet on Trevor. I would too. And, and look, honestly, the shame of it is that you and I are getting as far down the list without putting Trayvon Walker there because clearly he is one of the top candidates to break out, yeah. right? and particularly in the sack department. Um, most of the responses we got today, I would put it about 60% Trayvon, about 40% Lloyd. There's a smattering of a few other ones in there as well. Uh, we had a vote for Cisco uh, in there. Uh, Josh Allen got some love. Uh, Calvin Ridley got some love as well, but – we mentioned it earlier. If you look at what Calvin Ridley's done in his career, yeah, I mean, it, it, he'll break out in a Jags uniform regardless because he's never done anything in a Jags uniform. But the guy's been, you know, a double-digit touchdown guy, 1,300-yard receiver with 90 catches. going to be tough for him to have a true breakout. Yeah. His breakout would, would be, you know, first-team AFC Pro Bowler. Uh, mm-hmm. would pro- and I, I'm not saying he's not capable of it, I just think these other guys are more likely to get there uh, when it's all said and done. So, all right, uh, that'll wrap it up uh, for us today here on Jaguars Today. We appreciate James Stewart uh, stopping by uh, from the Wayback Machine. Somebody had a, a decent suggestion on the text line, but I've since closed the text line <laughs> on what we could uh, – where have you been Wednesdays, I think is what Where have you was. been Wednesdays. Where have yep. you been Wednesdays. That's yep. not bad, right? It's not bad at all. Had Rob Johnson a couple weeks ago, and then uh, James Stewart today. We got more – uh, coming up for you in the weeks ahead here on Jaguars today. But our time for today is done, so let's welcome an XL Primetime. Now, the two-minute drill brought to you by Tire Outlet. Tire Outlet is now hiring. Visit tireoutlet.com slash careers, equal opportunity employer. All right, Mia O'Brien is here. Hello, Mia. Hello. How are we doing, gentlemen? Uh, we're fine. You know, just kind of motoring right along. And- yeah. The offseason, what do you guys got on the board today? Oh, well, we are going to begin with, of course, all the coaching changes, not just here in Jacksonville, but also at the University of Florida with, of course, the news this morning that defense coordinator Patrick Coney is going to be heading out to the desert to join Jonathan Gannon's staff in Arizona. Now word that their tight ends coach down in Florida is going to be going with him. Neither has any NFL experience. And, oh, wait for it. Uh, the funny part is, is Matt Hayes looked at us just now in our pre-show meeting and goes, this is great. Billy Napier can go out and hire a veteran defensive coordinator. Just kidding. He's hiring a guy who was literally hired six weeks ago as the linebackers coach at the University of Alabama. Ah, that's great. But, you know, <laughs> at the University of Alabama, if you're a linebackers coach, you're Well, probably- you know, he was he comes there courtesy of uh, D.C. at Southern Miss, so lots of SEC experience. Mm, excellent. Well, I probably should have uh, followed through under promises to pay those coaches $13 million. <laughs> I think it's clearly the, where the evidence is pointing right hey, now. Hey, by the way, did you see the news just a couple moments ago as well? That probably your boy, not. Your boy, uh, Willie Taggart, not going to Colorado. He's going to Baltimore to become the Ravens running backs coach. Interesting. I hope you like Steve John Robinson. Florio, yeah. <laughs> he might fall right into that one right he there, might. according to the mock drafts. All right, Mia, we'll be listening. Should Absolutely. be interesting. Yeah, a lot of lot of change, a lot of moving parts, and we're going to dive into it and a whole lot more coming up on XL Primetime. All right, we'll be listening. Thank you. There goes Mia O'Brien along with the XL Primetime crew. Coming up here, uh, Tony, uh, by the way, our man Tony Pauline put a mock out yesterday, and Tony being the 
level-headed guy typically is, had the Jags taking cornerback Deontay Banks. Okay. In the first round, he says there is not enough buzz about Banks. He's getting first-round grades in the scouting community. After the combine, he will be shooting up mock drafts. Uh, and then he says Jags don't desperately need a corner, but they can develop in, into a starter. I, I don't know if they don't desperately need a corner. Yeah. Quite frankly. Um, I get what you're saying. You could you got two outside guys you could play with right now if you had to. So from that standpoint, you do have an answer there. Uh, I think they but they don't have many bodies beyond that. No, they'll be looking to upgrade for yeah. sure. I'm trying to see where he's got my man Bijan uh, coming off the board here. I think he's got him falling uh, pretty late in the first round, which is probably what's most likely to happen. He's got him go to the Buffalo Bills at 27. All okay. right, that'll do it for us today. Uh, thanks again to James Stewart. That was a lot of fun. And if you've got suggestions for the next Jaguar uh, on what you've been up to Wednesday, what are we calling it? Where you been Wednesday? Where you been Wednesday? I'll I'll change it every week. <laughs> what you talking about, Willis Wednesday? Uh, whatever the case may be, uh, you can send them to us uh, via email. Tweet them at us, uh, whatever you like. That'll do it uh, for us here for Tony Smith and ET. I'm Mike Dempsey. Thank you for listening to Jaguars today on 1010 XL and 92.5 FM.